Wow, good morning, everyone. Wasn't that a great time of worship? Man. Thank you, praise team. And praise God, what an awesome chance to come here. It's great to see all of you. Thanks for being here today. And for those of you that are watched online, welcome as well. We don't wanna forget about you. Even as we gradually shift from more and more online to more and more in person, that is still happening. But we know there's a lot of people still watching us out there. So thanks for being here with us on the, the screen. And we're glad that you're here. If you're new, my name is Adam and I'm the senior pastor here and we wanna connect with you. So if you would like to know more about the church or get involved here or just ask us a question, you can do that. Fill out our Connect card. You can go to efreeorg slash connect or text connect to 636-251-4778. I know that's super easy to remember, uh, but you can get that from any of us. We can share it with you or you can get a physical card. We still have those. Do we have paper here still? We actually still have a little bit of paper left. And if you go to one of the welcome centers, you can fill out a physical connect card. We do have a gift for you, by the way, and it's really cool. And I don't even have one. And I'm actually kind of jealous. I wish I could just be new here all over again. Um, when I came here, we didn't have anything this cool. So uh, yeah, you're gonna wanna fill that out if you're a guest and go get our special gift. Um, I also wanna thank you. Uh, many of you have been praying for me and my family. Uh, my grandmother passed away a couple weeks ago and I actually spent almost the whole week in Michigan getting ready for the funeral and doing the funeral and, and spending time with family. And it was a really sweet time. So thank you for your prayers. Just good, good chance to reconnect with so many family. We were actually blown away. She was 90 years old and uh, the, her, her children and I were sitting around sort of planning for the funeral stuff and preparing for that. And uh, so it's all, it's all my uncles and my dad and, and all that stuff. And they were saying, boy, is anybody even gonna show up to this thing? Because she's outlasted all of her friends. <laughs> who's, who's gonna show up? And then we had the funeral and there were a ton of people there. It was, it was amazing. So that was a real, real blessing and just a really sweet, wonderful time to honor her life. And you know, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned a bunch of prayer requests. Um, there, there's a lot that's been going on. You, you know about Todd Yeager and losing his father and his stepmother. So please continue to pray for him. And Kim Garland, um, I don't know if, I didn't see Kim here this morning. I know she was gonna try to make it to the second service, but she had her surgery. She's 10 days out from that. And uh, so continue to pray for her in recovery there. And then John Richardson messaged me last night and his mom has taken a turn for the worse. So, um, you know, those are a few that we mentioned here. So I wanted to update you on those. Be praying for John as right now is a really difficult time, obviously, for them. And... Um, doesn't seem like she has a lot of time left. So just pray that it would be sweet and, and wonderful and good times with family. And by the way, we, we do this all the time here. We don't always talk about it on Sunday mornings, but we have a very vibrant prayer life at the church here. And we have a great prayer ministry. We have a lot of people that receive our prayer list and pray for all sorts of things in the church. So if you ever wanna get on that, if you have something, could be anything. I mean, so, some random stuff gets on there too. If you want stuff for us to pray for, shoot us a message, go to efreeorg slash prayer and let us know and we'd be happy to add that to the list. Or if you wanna get the prayer list to be praying for things like this, get on there. there. There's dozens of other cases. I mean, I could stand here and just list them off for the entire message time of all the things that we're praying for. So uh, we want you to be able to be a part of that. Today, we're gonna to talk about vision and values for the church, which is a really fun topic. Um, it's also, it also can be a challenging one to dig into. But before we do that, I just wanna give you a little preview of the next few weeks of the services so you know what's coming up here. This week and next week, of course, is vision and values. After that, on July 25th, the president of the EFCA, we're a part of the EFCA. It's the Evangelical Free Church of America. That's the association that we belong to. And um, we'll talk more about what Evangelical Free Church means sometime. There's some information on our website and at efca.org. But the president of the EFCA will be with us. His name is Kevin Complin. He's a phenomenal speaker and leader. He's doing a great job with the EFCA. I have really loved getting to know him. And he will be here July 25th to speak with us in the morning services. So make sure you're there for that. And then on August 1st, we start our series on justice. What does biblical justice look like? How does that overlap and contrast with what we see in the world when the world talks about justice and, and pop culture justice? So we're gonna dig into that a little bit. Our first speaker for that series is gonna be Dr. Thaddeus Williams. Dr. Williams is a professor at Biola University. He wrote a book called Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. And he will be here to speak with us on August 1st. Then I'm gonna teach a little bit and after that, not the same Sunday, uh, following Sunday. And then after that, we've got a couple of weeks, we're bringing in other guest speakers, Alex and Angela Bryant. Angela actually participated in some ministries here at First Free Church a few years ago. Her husband was a pastor in St. Louis in the city. 
And uh, they have since moved to a different part of Missouri, but they're gonna be back here to spend a couple Sundays with us. They wrote a book together called Let's Start Again. And they talk about race and racism and racial insensitivity, racial ignorance, lots of racial things. It's a very good conversation. You may not agree with everything these guest speakers have to say. Um, but they're Christians, they love Jesus, they love God. They're trying to be very biblical in their approach to these issues about justice. And I wanna tell you about this series. Our goal is not just to be all about what we're against. Although there are some things that we're against and there are some places where we're gonna point out and say, the Bible says something different than what the world says here. And so we'll dig into that a little bit. But we also wanna be about what we're for. And so we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about what can we as followers of Jesus do to follow God's word and act appropriately. It's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be challenging. It's not gonna be controversial at all, I'm sure. So make sure you mark your calendars the whole month of August. We're gonna be doing, and a little bit into September, we're gonna be doing this justice series. All right, but that's not for today. Today we're talking about vision and values. Where do we go as a church coming out of the pandemic as, as we hopefully are right now. Now the church has had many different vision and mission and purpose statements over the years, lots of them. As I've been digging through the archives, I've uncovered many that were promoted and used for a time, many that were worked on for a very long time and then never used. There are some that I don't know if anyone in, in the church, unless they worked on them, has actually seen. There are you know, various documents and things with, with different bits of mission and vision and purpose and those things. And that's the funny thing about vision and values and purpose and mission and all those kinds of statements that we can come up with. Sometimes we spend a really long time working on them and crafting them and wordsmithing them and getting them just right. And then when we're done, we're so sick of them that we put it up on the shelf and we just let it collect dust for a while. We don't actually do anything with them. That's a perpetual problem with vision and mission statements and all of that. Sometimes we make them really big and they're big, you know, 10, 30, 50 page documents of stuff. And then we never really talk about it or reference it again. And we definitely don't want that to be the case here. Although we certainly run the risk of that today, regardless. One church I was in previously I was a pastor, there were nine of us, nine pastors anyway, and uh, the nine pastors were sitting together around a table debating some aspect of future vision of the church. And I remember very distinctly asking all of them together, can any of you say the current vision of our church? Do any of you know the current vision of our church? Now the vision of the church had been established before I got there. And it was in giant letters up on the wall in the lobby. Every single day you walked past this vision. You saw it all the time. You could not miss it. It was the biggest thing, the biggest decoration thing we had in this big church was this huge vision statement. And not a single pastor could tell you what the vision of the church was. And that's what happens with vision statements. A lot of times is we, we make a big deal about them and then we just sort of let them fade away. And we run the risk of that today, but that's not what we wanna see happen. We don't want this to be really big. We don't want it to be impractical. We want it to be somewhat memorable, um, although what we share with you is, is really largely a reference point for us so that we can go back to it and say, this is what we want to be. This is what we want to become. And hopefully coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, I keep saying coming out of like I'm not aware of the Delta variant, um, but Lord willing, as we come out of the COVID pandemic, we are going to see a resurgence of church in this country. And that's gonna be true here as well. Churches took a hit last year, big time, and they have not recovered from that yet. Um, but we wanna see God do some amazing things. And so we're gonna roll this out to you and we wanna rally around this together and move forward as a church. As we've worked on this, and we've been working on this for three years now. So we started this shortly after I got here. Um, the first kind of versions of it were were drafted within the, the first year there. And it has spent numerous rounds with the elders and the pastors. Multiple retreats have been focused on this. And you're gonna, you're gonna be very disappointed when you see how short it is because you'd think we came up with something massive. But sometimes it takes even longer to craft something short and small. So you'll be thankful that it's short. You'll be amazed at how long it took. Here are the things that we wanted to focus on as we worked on this. Number one, we wanted it to be intensely biblical. We are a Bible-believing church. We stand on the word of God as our authority for all practices in life and faith, both in the church and in our individual lives. And that's, that's different than a lot of places and even different than a lot of churches. But the Bible for us is, is supreme over everything we do. So this has to be right out of God's word. The second thing is we wanna reflect the heart of the church and the heart of the leaders of the church. God has established leadership in this church, not just me, but many pastors and elders and staff and volunteer leaders of all stripes. And we want this vision and our values to reflect how God has uniquely 
given our church and our leaders passion and gifting to be able to move in these areas. We also want it to be fairly easy to remember and especially easy to reference where you're not having to flip through a bunch of pages. And I think that was on page 27. Oh yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. But, but fairly simple, easy to remember, very easy to reference. And we don't want to assume that we know exactly what God is going to do. Some people's idea of vision is a very specific, detailed plan that spells out we're gonna do this and we're gonna put this thing up over here and we're gonna do this construction, we're gonna build this campus and we're gonna do all these other things, we're gonna send missionaries to this place. And that is not our idea of an ideal vision. Vision is higher level than that. It's at the 50,000 foot level. What does God want this church to be now and especially in the future? That's what the vision is all about. It is not necessarily all the detailed plans. We have those detailed plans. We have lots of things that we want to do. And many of them we, we did. We did a bunch of them during the pandemic and you were a part of that, many of you. We, we've done a lot of things this year. Um, that we had plans to do. We've got a lot of plans for the future. One of the, the plans that we had for this summer is we had all these construction projects we were going to do, but unfortunately, many of them involved wood. And as some of you know, wood has like tripled in price. And so we just said, nope, we're not gonna do those things right now. We're going to wait, we're gonna be good stewards, and we're gonna wait until the price of lumber comes down and we can make do until wood is a somewhat reasonable cost again. So the Bible says man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. We're gonna make some plans. A lot of those plans are gonna be in pencil, not in ink. But when it comes to our vision, this is what we believe God wants the church to be, no matter what those plans involve or where they take us or how God moves us along the way. A vision statement needs to be what we think the church should be, what we think God wants the church to be in the future. Not that it isn't that now, but there are ways to improve it. In some ways, the church already looks like our vision statement that I'm gonna share with you today. In some ways, the vision is aspirational because we can think of ways that, it, that we can be better, that we can look more like this vision statement. Now, values flow out of the vision. So vision gives you an idea of where you're going. Values help you stay on track. They're like plumb lines. You know what a plumb line is? The, the string with the weight that hangs down so that you can check if something is, is true and, and straight up and, and, and level and all, all the things it needs to be. Well, values can be like that. Where values can help you stay on track, you can, it gives you something to compare to and say, are we doing the right things? Are we focused on the right things? Is this something that goes against one of our values? If it, do, if it goes toward our values, then yeah, we need to be all about that. That's what values are about. Um, values help you describe the church to someone on the outside who wants to know, hey, what is this church all about anyway? What's your thing? Different churches are gonna be a little bit different and values help us to, to distinguish some of those things. So I'm gonna introduce you today to a new vision and value statement and one that has been carefully prayed over and discussed for a very long time. Um, it probably won't surprise you much. You probably won't find a lot in here that you're gonna go, wow, I didn't expect you to put that in there. You love cats that much? You know, no, there's nothing crazy or weird in the vision or values, but you might find them worded a very particular way. And, and as I explain them, you might realize, okay, that's a little different than what I've heard elsewhere. Or that's unique. I like that, hopefully. You may find some things you don't care for as much. You may find things that you go, why wasn't that in there? And um, the, the answer to that generally is there are all sorts of things we could try to cram into these vision and values. And at some point, it becomes so bloated that it's diluted and you don't value anything anymore. If you value everything, you don't value anything. And so we've had to keep these relatively small, as small as possible. What I wanna do is walk you through the vision statement first, bit by bit, and then we're gonna get into some of the values. And we're gonna be all over scripture today. We'll put them up on the screens. If you wanna follow along on your devices or in your Bibles, you are welcome to do that, but we're gonna kind of bounce around a little bit. Normally, if you're new here, normally this is not how the Sunday service goes. Normally we're gonna be in a passage of the Bible and we're walking through it together, but that is not the case today. But we think this is important. So the first scripture I wanna take you to is John chapter four, verse 23. John 4, 23 says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. This is Jesus speaking. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Jesus says that God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, the context of this is Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman and she's talking about worship at the temple with the Jews or worship the way the Samaritans do it at their, their temple and, and, or their holy place and what they think you should do. And Jesus is saying, yeah, none of that stuff. None of the religious rituals, none of the going to the temple regularly, none of that stuff. What God really wants is people that worship him in spirit and in truth. 
In other words, they worship him with their whole lives. It's not about going through the motions. It's not about coming to church once a week. It's not about looking spiritual. It's not about playing the part. It's spirit and in truth, internally, and in everything that you do, and truly, genuinely, authentically worshiping God. That's the kind of worshiper God is looking for. And so we wanted that to go first in our vision statement. And so it starts off like this. First Free Church is a growing community, passionate about worshiping God. Passionate about worshiping God. And when we say worshiping God, we don't just mean singing songs. We mean worshiping with our whole lives. Everything that we do, we worship when we go to work, we worship when we go to school, we worship when we're at home, we worship when we're getting groceries, we worship all the time. God is amazing. He's given us this awesome life and we believe that we owe him our worship and God is looking for those kinds of worshipers. Daniel was a man who was known as a man of prayer because his neighbors saw him pray regularly. We wanna be known as people who worship God through prayer and many other things. And we want that to be seen and visible. We're passionate about worship. And we don't wanna keep that worship to ourselves. We want others to know about this great God that we serve and the difference that he's made in our lives. It's so incredible. We wanna tell other people about it. The last thing Jesus said to his disciples before he left was go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you even to the end of the age. What is Jesus saying there? The God of the universe has given us this incredible task to go bring more people into his kingdom, to go make more disciples. He could send the angels in fact, I think if an angel with, with wings and a flaming sword showed up at somebody's house, they might be more likely to believe. But God has chosen you and me. He has chosen us to go make disciples. He told his disciples, go make disciples, teach them to do everything I have taught you. And what did he just tell them to do? To go and make disciples. It's a never-ending cycle. It is supposed to continue. The gospel comes to you on its way to someone else. And so uh, uh, Hebrews 5 says uh, there is, oh no, excuse me. So the First Free Church is a growing community, passionate about worshiping God, reaching the lost. There's more to come. That's why there's no and there. But worshiping God, reaching the lost. By the way, we know that's not gonna look the same for every person. Sometimes when we think about reaching the lost, we think about like street evangelism or going to the park and sharing the gospel with someone, doing the kind of elevator pitch gospel. And that's good. And I've done that many times and you can reach people that way. But there are lots of ways to reach the lost through ministries here, through inviting people to church, through going out in the communities, through getting to know your neighbors, through coworkers at work. There are so many ways that we can be about reaching the lost. So we are passionate about reaching the lost. Now, where I want to go next is once we reach people for Jesus, we don't want them to stay at that level. We don't want them to just trust in Jesus and say, well, that's it. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to grow. There's more to it than that. Hebrews 5 says there is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Isn't that incredibly blunt? I just love that. Can you imagine being the believers receiving this letter Nope. Can you imagine me saying something like this to the church here? You are spiritually dull. I would get some emails that week, I'll bet you. And not just a few. But this is what the author is telling these believers. He's saying, you're spiritually dull. You don't seem to listen. And here's what he says. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Boy, that must have been a convicting thought. You've been believers so long that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. So our vision for this church is that we would be passionate about growing spiritually, not settling for the status quo, not viewing our only time where we grow as this time in the weekend service. This is sort of the spiritual buffet once a week, but every day in our lives, we need to be spending time in God's word and we need to be with other people growing spiritually every single week, learning more and putting it into practice. Jesus said, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer also. We're actually testing a new ministry right now behind the scenes that we think is really gonna help us with that. We think it's gonna help us put this vision uh, into more of a reality. 
We're very excited about it. It's gonna, it's gonna hopefully be the hub for a lot of things that we do. It's gonna be a great place for new believers to come in and be discipled. It's gonna be a great place for people who've been believers for a long time to reconnect to good spiritual disciplines and healthy rhythms in their life. It's gonna be a place for people to connect to groups and service opportunities. And so we're working on that right now and, and hope within the next several months to be able to roll that out and have everyone go through it because we think it's so important that we be people who are spiritually growing. Another thing we see our church being very passionate about is prayer. Prayer is so important to us. Last week, we had this awesome prayer service. How many of you are here for that? Was anybody here for the prayer service? What a great time that was. So sweet. And one of the things I mentioned last week was that prayer for us should not just be a time that we set aside occasionally to focus on prayer, although that is good and we should, but it should also be an element of continual prayer. Pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians says. We are supposed to be praying continually. And that doesn't just mean pray a lot. That means we can pray all the time. When we say, uh, in Jesus' name, amen, to close our prayers, that doesn't need to be hanging up the phone. That's not even what that means. It doesn't mean conversation over. It just means, I agree with everything that was just said. And so prayer is supposed to be this relationship with God that is constant, that goes on all the time. Any of you that have like a, a BFF that you text with all the time, or maybe someone that you Marco Polo constantly, if you, if you even know what Marco Polo is. All these services we have that keep us in touch with people, we're always talking back and forth, and we don't ever feel like we have to say, okay, I won't talk with you for a while now. Like, that ends the conversation. It's just, as you go through life, you're texting each other, messaging each other, sending each other videos. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you, where it's like, God, can you believe this guy that just cut me off? I mean, I thought about saying something nasty, but I'm gonna pray to you instead. God, I'm in this difficult situation right now with someone that's sharing something with me that I don't know how to handle. I don't know how to respond. Would you give me wisdom? That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. And so we see our church being passionate about praying continually. There are two more things in the vision statement. And there are many, many things we could have put in here. A lot of deliberation went into what all fits into this vision statement. But we settled on two more things that we thought were important to Include Something that's very important to us is that we have deeply rooted and accountable community. Deepening community here. Hebrews 10.25 tells us not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together, to give up meeting together. Galatians 6.2 says that we should bear each other's burdens. James 5.16 says we should pray for each other. And these things all require that we be living in community with each other. Now, this, what we're doing right here is awesome. It's great. The weekend worship service is great. But I've got to be honest with you, this is not checking the church box. It really isn't. Most of what the Bible says Christians ought to do as part of the church does not happen in the weekend worship service. Some of it does, but a lot of it doesn't. Because those things happen at different levels of community. A couple of years ago, we did a series called Hello, My Name Is. And we talked about the different relationship levels of Jesus, and we have those relationship levels as well. And we talked about how this level, what we're doing right here, the worship gathering, is at the the most shallow level of community. It's good. It's a chance to get to know people, which is awesome. But let's be honest, just really honest right now. If I were to pick some random person from this section over here and ask you a question about some random person from this section over here, how well do you think you'd do? Maybe not very well. Because in this room, it's, it's big enough, and I didn't even go to the balcony. I mean, you guys, nobody knows you. Just kidding. Hi. Hey, Heather. Good to see you. Um, We don't know each other all that well because there's too many of us, and that's okay. We're not supposed to know each other on that depth of level. But what the Bible says we're supposed to do as Christians takes place at deeper levels of community. So what do we need to do? We need to have those deepening levels of community. We need to get involved in a Sunday morning group, maybe, or a small group. We need to have discipleship groups. We need a close personal walk with God. Those are those relationship levels that we've talked about in the past. We believe we need to have deepening community at this church and be passionate about it. Let's build that deep community together. Don't just show up here once a week. Get involved at a deeper level where there's love and accountability and trust and all the things the Bible says we're supposed to do for each other in the church that can't necessarily happen with a large group of people in this room. There's one more to share with you from the vision. And this one is less obvious. In fact, I'll bet very few churches have this in their vision statement. But I actually believe that this is one of the most critical things the church is supposed to do and that is often neglected. 
Let me share with you the support for this. Ephesians 4 says their responsibility, that's the church leaders that were mentioned in the previous verse, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. What this means is that the common myth that we hire pastors and staff and church leaders to go do ministry is not biblical. What the Bible says about church leaders is that they are in place so they can equip all the believers to do ministry. My job and the other pastor's jobs and the staff's job is not to do all the ministry. It's to facilitate, it's to equip, it's to help you get in and use your spiritual gifts to serve in and outside of the body of Christ. We believe that's incredibly important. 2 Timothy 2 2 says, you have heard me teach things. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. It's supposed to continue. It's another one of those cycles. You teach people who will teach people. You train people who will train people. You want to develop influencers who will continue passing on what you've passed on to them. Remember Hebrews 5 said, you've been believers so long now that you should be teaching others but you haven't learned that yet. But that is the goal. The goal is for us to reach a point where we are now influencing others for Jesus and teaching others. Part of God's design for the church is to equip people to influence other people. So we're gonna put it this way. We are passionate about developing leaders who continue those pursuits, all the things we mentioned earlier, in every area of life. We actually believe this is a God-given mandate for us not just to do church, not just to set up a nice worship service with good music, not just to have a good kids program and student ministries, not just to support missions and take missions trips and and have men's and women's ministries and groups and all that stuff. No, 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 that's a part of it. But a God-given mandate to us for church leadership and the churches in general is for us to be equipping people who will influence people, to develop leaders who will influence others and continue these pursuits in all the areas of their life. Leadership is all about influence. But that looks very different to different people. You may have one concept in mind when you think of a leader, and that's not necessarily what we're saying here. We're not saying everyone has to be a leader on a stage or a leader in front of a class. People lead in all sorts of different ways. But if leadership is all about influence, every one of us has an opportunity to influence other people for Jesus. And that's what we wanna do, help people grow in that way. Of course, we wanna see some people develop to be leaders of ministries and leaders of classes and leaders for Jesus in their workplaces. And we've, we've done a lot over the last couple of years to enhance that. We've been building a leadership pipeline across all the ministries of our church, putting in place layers of leaders to allow for more growth and development. For instance, putting in place coaches and team leaders in ministries that didn't have them before and building up training and accountability and trying to enhance those areas so that people can grow in their abilities and to make sure we put people in the right fit for where God has them and where he's gifted them. We expanded our our Leadership Pathways program. It it helps men and women grow as leaders in all aspects of their life. And and we had to close it down during the pandemic. We're looking forward to getting that back open again. We've got a great internship program here and, and we've made it even better in the last couple of years. We've really enhanced the internship program and we're now building a residency program as well, which will take things to the next level all because we take very seriously the God-given mandate to be developing people, teaching people who will teach people, growing up and equipping people to be leaders and influencers. We believe that is what Jesus wants his church to be. This is the kind of church we wanna be. Let's put that vision statement up one more time. A growing community, passionate about worshiping God, reaching the lost, growing spiritually, praying continually, deepening community, and developing leaders who continue those pursuits in every area of life. We think this is what God is calling us to be. And I know it doesn't look radically different. Maybe it's just some fresh verbiage from a lot of things that we've done here in the past over the years. But it's something that the pastors and the elders are standing behind and saying, this is what we believe God wants us to be as a church moving forward. And that doesn't mean we don't already do this, but we see ways we can get better at doing every bit of this. And I am so excited to think about what God will do through our church, through you, if we pursue this together. I am so excited because I think that some of you are gonna reach people for Jesus that I couldn't reach and that you didn't think were reachable. But because we doubled down on being passionate about reaching the lost, it's gonna happen. I think God is gonna use some of you to help other people grow spiritually. 
people who maybe the pastors and, and teachers here wouldn't be able to connect with, but you're going to be able to connect with them in a unique way because of your experiences and your connection with them, and you're going to be able to disciple them and help them grow spiritually. Because we can't leave that up to church leadership. That's not how it's supposed to work. All of us have to be in this together. The pandemic was unbelievably challenging, and many churches are still struggling. We're all struggling coming out of this. We haven't recovered fully from the pandemic. But I really believe that if we will get behind this vision, if we will double down and commit to being a part of this as a church and making this happen, I believe that the church will bounce back stronger than before. Not just our church, but the the church across the world. If we will get behind what God's word says we are supposed to be and commit ourselves to it, there's no telling what God can do through us to impact the community and the kingdom. It's gonna be amazing. So I wanna do something risky here. I'm gonna give you a chance to be a part of this. I, I, wanna, I wanna give you an opportunity to commit to following this vision and making this happen at First Free Church, even more than it already is, because it, it already is, but it, it can get better. And if you're willing to commit and be a part of this, I'm gonna ask you to do something bold and brave. Don't worry, it's not coming up on stage or it's not even standing up. All I'm gonna invite you to do is to make a commitment with me out loud. You don't have to do this. If you don't wanna do this, don't do it, it's fine. I won't be able to tell. I can't tell who's speaking and who's not out there. But if you are willing, and if you've got a mask on, don't worry about it. You can, you can just say watermelon, watermelon. I'll think you're doing it. <laughs> but if you are willing to commit to being a part of this vision with us, we're gonna put it up on the screen. This is worded in more of a commitment way. I want you to see what you're committing to. And then we're gonna read it all together if you're willing to be a part of this. Let's start. God, before you today, we commit to being a church that is passionate about worshiping God, reaching the lost, growing spiritually, praying continually, deepening community, and developing leaders who continue those pursuits in every area of life. All of you who said that, I hope you mean it. I hope you will be a part of that in a big way at this church. I think God's gonna do some amazing things here moving forward. And if we will latch on to this vision, we're gonna put it on our website and we're gonna be referencing it a lot. We'll reference it in our new members classes for sure. We'll include it in our training of staff and volunteer roles and all of that. If we will commit to doing this together and keep this at the front of our minds, I think we can do some incredible stuff here for the kingdom. I think God wants to do some incredible stuff through us. Now, vision is important because vision tells you where you're going, what you wanna see the church become. But values are important too. Values flow out of the vision and help you stay on track. Um, They let us know if we're doing things the right way or the wrong way. Are we doing the right things or the wrong things? There are different kinds of values. There are theological values. Now, our theological values are already well-established. They're in our statement of faith. We have a statement of faith with 10 different articles. It's on our website at efree.org slash beliefs. We've covered it in the past in in a what we believe kind of message. And I'm sure we'll cover it in the future. If you take our new members class, you'll go through it in more depth there. But our statement of faith covers what we believe about God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and and the church and salvation and eternity and a lot of different things. It also includes theological values that we hold to like prayer and love and compassion and grace and the church ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And, And those theological values are incredibly important to us and most churches would agree, most evangelical churches would agree on all of our theological values, even though they might put them a little bit differently or add some things we wouldn't. But there are also some values that make us distinct from other churches. There are some values that are a little bit different that if someone were to ask, hey, what's unique about your church compared to the church down the road? Well, here's what makes our church a little bit unique that sets it apart a little bit. And that's fine. God made people very different. And so it makes sense that the churches would look different because they have different people in them. Different churches will reach people differently. The church down the road might reach someone that we're not gonna reach. And hopefully we'll reach some people that they're not going to reach. God uses his churches differently in his kingdom, and that is absolutely okay. In fact, if you look at the churches in the Bible, none of them were identical. They were very, very different. And we don't read anything that says all the churches were supposed to be identical. That is not what Paul was working toward in his letters. Consistency and belief, yes, but identical in all the other aspects, no. They were different. They were products of their community and their times to some extent. And so it's good that churches can be a little bit different. If we try to do everything a church can do, we will do many things poorly. But if we try to do the few things that God has really gifted us in and made us passionate for, then we can do those really, really well. And we call these distinctive values. Our theological values are already well-established. 
These are distinctive values. We've identified six key areas that maybe make us a little unique compared to other churches. When we were going through these, we asked some key questions to help us identify our distinctive values. Here are the questions. When we're at our best, what are we doing that is common to us, but uncommon to others? What are we uniquely gifted by God to build in our church? What are our unique perspectives on the mission of the church that we believe God is leading us to pursue? What's unique about that? And when someone is curious about what makes our church different, what can we tell them? So are you ready to hear the distinctive values? I guess not. Are you ready to hear the distinctive values? Okay, come back next week. We're gonna wrap it up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm gonna give you two today. We're gonna do four next week, okay? We're gonna cover two today. And this is all, um, it's very challenging to communicate this kind of information. And I I don't know if I'm doing a great job of it. So we're actually gonna bring some people up in a little bit that are gonna help explain this even better and give you some real life examples. Uh, But the first value that I'm gonna share with you, it might seem obvious to you, but but it actually packs a lot of meaning for us. See, we believe that Jesus Christ is not just the gateway to heaven. He's not just the guy we believe in and trust in to have faith in so that we can go to heaven and have a relationship with God there. He is the, the person that we trust now to give us access to God's kingdom now and a relationship with God now that impacts every day of our lives. Not just on Sunday, but tomorrow when we go to work or school or spend time with the kids at home or whatever it is we're doing, Jesus is the difference in our life no matter what. He's the difference between emptiness and fulfillment. He's the difference between wandering and purpose, between a life of guilt and a life of grace. And Jesus said we're supposed to be different. A lot of Christians don't look all that different from the world. And that's what the author of Hebrews was was getting at, is you have stayed spiritually immature. You need to grow. Romans 12 says we shouldn't conform to the world, but be transformed by God. Jesus talked about the fact that we're supposed to be salt in this world. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be, have a different flavor, be tasty. In 1 Peter 3, Peter gives a list of how Christians should live, which is radically different than the culture. He says, women, don't focus on outward beauty, focus on inward beauty. That was very different for the culture and still is. He tells men to honor and care for their wives and be understanding. That was very different. He tells the believers to be of one mind, united in love, instead of dividing and arguing. That's different. He says Christians shouldn't hold on to bitterness or try to get revenge. That's different, very different from the world. And then in chapter three, he says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. That's what we're supposed to do. Make Jesus the center. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain. The reason we can live such radically different lives from the world is because of Jesus. And that's our first distinctive value that we wanna share. Jesus is the difference. That's value number one. Jesus is the difference. And not just different on Sunday, different every single day of the week. Not just at church, but at home and at school, at the store. Jesus is the difference in traffic when someone cuts you off. Because we all know the way we want to respond. But we respond differently, don't we? Because we have Jesus in our lives. At least we should. It's an aspirational value. Jesus is the difference in everything that we do. Like I said, I want us to understand these a little bit better, and we're going to need some help with that. So I have asked Bruce Eckhart, one of our elders, to come up and join me on stage, and I'm going to ask him some questions about this. Would you welcome him as he comes up here? First of all, thank you so much for doing this, Bruce. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, How has Jesus made a difference in your life? I know that seems basic, but... From before to after, what, what were the biggest differences that you saw? Okay. Um, Adam, I guess I would say that my uh, orientation to life changed when I accepted, when, Jesus be, when I trusted Jesus. And I see, it was a drastic change, and it was an uh, abrupt change. Before Jesus, I, I had a passion to pursue, pursue power, prestige, and money. When I trusted Jesus, that, that, that pursuit changed. I wanted to pursue Jesus. I wanted to know him. I wanted to experience him. I wanted to have a personal relationship with him. I wanted a friendship. And let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Almost immediately after trusting Jesus, I began studying my Bible. I had a passion to get into the Word. But not just to read it and learn it. I wanted to change my heart and to change my life. And I would ask God in prayer, Lord, 
work this into my life, change my life because of this, this father. And uh, yeah, I think that's uh, it. Let me give you another example. Uh, I was uh, studying the, uh, uh, the life of Abraham. And as I was studying, I came across where, where Abraham offered his son Isaac to, on the altar. And it was like, God, when I saw that, he's saying, Bruce, I want you to be sacrificing your money and your career to me. And I think that was unique to me because that was my passion before. And he wanted me to know, and he wanted me to change and be willing to sacrifice everything for him. And, you know, I'd like to, in, the, in my life, at the end of my life, to be known as a man who is pursuing God's own heart, just like David was. Yeah, and so Jesus radically transformed your priorities in all of that. Do you think it's important for other people to notice the difference in your life? Do you think other people noticed it in you? I believe they notice it in me, but more, more important, I think it's important they notice the difference. And we're told in Scripture in two places, the first place is in Matthew five sixteen. It says we're to be a shining light and our, let our good works be praise to God. And in 1 Peter 12, also we're told that our good works are to bring glory to God. We need to show that to attract people to the Lord. Let me give you an example. I, Millie and I had a home in the uh, mountains of North Carolina for 25 years, and it was in a county that was largely Cherokee Indian. And there was a Cherokee Indian. His name was Noah Crow. You know, he's a Christ, he was from a Christian family because of the Noah. But anyway, he was a star athlete on the football team, and most of the people in the, in the community knew him, and, and they knew of his feats. But also, he had a problem. He drank a lot. He did drugs. When he got married, he wasn't a good family man. And his wife one day said to him, I need you to leave until you can come back and be the head of our family, be a family man. He did that. He came back. People noticed it. And people came up and they asked him, what is this different about you? And he was able to tell them. He did it. And then he pursued uh, education and became a pastor of one of the leading churches in the community. That's why it's important people see the difference. Because they see a difference, it authenticates who you are. That, that's incredible. And there are so many stories we can, we can both think of of radical life transformation that we've seen. It, it, it really is incredible. But, but I find that it can be difficult um, sometimes to, to show that difference in every area of our life. I mean, you know, with, with you, you said that your priorities shifted from work, and, and sometimes it seems like we slip into this mode of living two different lives. There's our church life, and then there's our everyday life, and the whole idea of Jesus is the difference is that he, he's the difference in everything that we do. Um, how can someone go from kind of living those two different lives and, and not having Jesus incorporate into, into work and home and school and all the other things, and you know maybe we just kind of think about him on Sundays, how can we make that a reality in everything that we do? That question's easier answered than worked out in life, let me tell you. Uh, it's hard. I, I would uh, suggest there's four things I would think about. Number one is if you have a, a secret sin or a secret in your life, or if you're in a continual sin, I would get them out right away. If you don't, Satan has a foothold into your life, and he's going to mess with you when God's wanting to call you. So that's a problem. The second thing I would say is be in your Bible every day. Be praying every day. And for me, uh, I don't put the, pray the armor of God every day, but when I know I'm coming to a tough day, I pray for the armor of God in my life. So I would say do that. And, and then the third thing I would say you should do is the Bible tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, renew your mind. You know, before when I was a businessman, all I thought about was business and business models and, and how to pursue them. Now I'm a citizen in heaven. And that means I should be thinking about heaven, thinking about God, thinking about what I read in my Bible today. How can I serve you? Being aware of what's happening in the world so I don't walk by people that need me. And then the last thing I would tell you is this is a hard thing to do, and you're going to fail. You're not going to do it every day. I just came off a three-week vacation. I was in the world too much. I came back. I confessed. I changed my my life went back to the principles I was leading my life on. And you know, life is li lived in the future. Don't s stay on the past. What you do today, what you're going to do tomorrow, and what you're going to do the next day is what's, where the importance is. That's great advice. Thank you, Bruce. Would you thank him for sharing with us? Thank you, sir.
There's one more value, I'll, oh, thank you. One more value I will share with you, and we're, we're gonna go a few minutes long today, but I, I think that it's worth it. And uh, that is all about love. You know, and, and that's not a big surprise because the Bible is all about love. The Bible says that God is love, but the Bible also says that God loved the world so much that he sent his only son to die for us. Love that gets put into action. That's so critically important. God showed his love for us by dying for us. Jesus said, there's no greater love than this, that someone lay down their life for their friends. He said, if you really love me, obey my commandments. And so love is supposed to be put into action. Jesus says, dear, or John rather says, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Some versions say love in word and in deed. We are supposed to love through our actions and what we do. And so the second distinctive that we wanna share with you, distinctive value, is love is a verb. Love is a verb. And I understand that when I say that, some of you may immediately think of a DC Talk song from like 50 years ago. Do you remember that song? If you, if you don't, go look it up. It is a blast from the past. That is not where we got this from, nor did we get it from the John Mayer song just to be clear. I don't know which one you had in your, in your head, but love is a verb. Love has to be put into action. In order to help us understand this a little bit better, I'm gonna ask Eric and Don Mansky to join me on the stage. Would you welcome them as they come up here? Dawn is now singing it. She has the whole thing memorized, even the rap parts. Is that true? Down with the DC talk. <laughs> She's got that part. <laughs> First of all, I just want to thank you guys for being here. I know that this week was a, a challenging one because uh, you were putting love in action and that's not always an easy thing to do. <laughs> you were treating love as a verb and uh, we almost didn't get here uh, today, and, and, but here we are. And I want to thank you for being willing to still share with us. Um, it, it really says a lot. And I also want to say this is, this is kind of a little uncomfortable because it's like we're, we're putting forward Eric and Dawn and saying, here's your example of love in action, love as a verb, you know, and puffing them up on a pedestal. And um, that's not at all their desire here. I, I pursued them and asked them if they would be willing to share with you because they do some really neat things to put love in action. I think it'll be an inspiration to us. So let me just let you share then. Uh, I think Dawn's gonna go first and then Eric. What has God led you to do over your life to put love into action? I think a couple a couple things that he's done is really given me a love or a passion for peop different people groups. And one of those was when I was in college, people who just don't have easy access to the gospel. And while I was still in college, he made it pretty clear he wanted me to go to China. And I thought that was gonna be for a year and then maybe one more year. And it ended up being living in China for 10 years, which was incredible. While I was there, um, I, I saw things that I had not seen here, but I started to learn more about exploitation and how people exploit others and human, what, it's, what we would call human trafficking now. And so I really just kind of, my eyes were open to that. And when I came back to the United States, he called me to a start a business, which was not in my plan at all. Um, with a couple degrees in education and one in theology, I was lacking considerably. But, but I jumped forward into that because it was pretty clear and this love to step forward and act in some way to help um, people in that situation or those at risk and learning more about explo exploitation and kids that age out of the foster system in this country really kind of opened our eyes to the need for, for families, for a safe place, a loving family to step forward and open their homes to specifically teenagers that are about to age out of our system. So we, have start, we started fostering several years ago. And uh, just to add to that, um, I, when I was younger, I was involved in uh, youth group ministry and mentoring a lot of the young men that I knew then. And then I moved into teaching high school math and college for about 10 years, uh, which included a stint in Indonesia as well. So God called me overseas for a time, but also to continue developing relationships with these young men as they were growing into adulthood. Um, more recently, I would say 
I'm called to support my wife, of course, in the things she's doing as well. Um, the fostering, as she's already mentioned, continuing to mentor people from difficult situations. And also I'm a team lead at work, so I'm involved in developing people there as well. And I just say all those things to show that God is going to call people to different parts and different parts of their life. Um, he may call you overseas, he may not, but wherever you're at, he's certainly calling you to be a part of what he's doing. What kind of challenges have the two of you faced in doing this? I know there are a lot of challenges in foster ministry, a lot of challenges in starting a small business to help with human trafficking, but how has that been for you? Difficult. <laughs> in a word. <laughs> in one word. Yeah, 2020 was difficult in so many different realms. Uh, small businesses were dying all over, pivoting over and over and over, and just continuing to see God's faithfulness with providing opportunity. Um, and getting to what I thought was absolutely the end of my rope and him providing again. So that has been incredible. And difficulty with kids coming into your home that come from a very different perspective. You don't have the relational background with them to, to really go get through the hard things. Um, but God continues to provide, and, and it is not, it, it sounds lovely. Oh, we're offering this safe space and a loving family to foster kids, but it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, I think two things have came to mind when um, thinking about difficulties. And one is we're very, I mean, I, you hear a lot about God not calling you to things that you wouldn't be able to handle or that um, you wouldn't have the ability to do. And in my experience, I've found that God seems to want to call me to things that I don't seem to have the ability to do sometimes. And that's okay. I mean, that's where he grows my faith. And um, if you can learn to trust in him, he is sufficient to work with you through those things. It's not about us. Um, the other thing I found is that um, pain and suffering, if we look to our Lord and Savior and look at what he went through, pain and suffering were a part of what he experienced. And that's not to say that you need to run towards pain and suffering, but it is going to be a part of your walk with with God and as you're reaching out and helping other people and it feels like our culture sometimes just has this aversion to pain and suffering they want to avoid it they don't want to be have anything to do with it and uh, unfortunately I think I think that you miss out a lot on what God can teach you through those things um, the spirit does give us the ability to absorb pain and suffering without bitterness and with grace uh, however imperfectly we may do that what would you say to someone who wants to do a better job of putting love into action but is struggling to do it? How would you help them? I think a big part of that is just being faithful and being available. And if God puts something in front of you and the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart, pay attention. And it might be difficult, and you might look forward and go, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. But if that's what he's calling you to do, he's going to give, he's going to provide the opportunities. He's going to, he's going to give you a path. And we're reading this great devotional by Tim Keller, and he's, a couple days ago was talking about the fact that some, it's so easy for us to walk forward in our feelings. And I guarantee you there are times with these foster kids, my feelings are not loving. Like, it's really, you know, when you've got this kid in your face and just being really mean, the loving response is not my feeling, but as Tim Keller is talking about, doing the action will often encourage the feeling. So if I let my feelings rule, my actions may not be so pleasant, but if I go forward with what I know is right, what is loving, it helps the feelings. Uh, and I think I would add, um, it, you have to look at your own walk and where you are in that. If you are following Christ because you want to be saved and get into heaven, and that's pretty much it for right now, then, and that's fine, but that is probably not a great time to be trying to jump into all sorts of things and um, seeing 
what can happen there because you're likely going to get beat up spiritually and um, harm others. So when a time does come, though, that you really do want to have that deeper relationship with God and you want him to be more the Lord of your life and you're getting that kind of an understanding, then reach out. The Spirit is going to come and he will guide you into where God is leading you. And you'll find that Jesus has actually been preparing tasks for you to do with him all along in, in time for that. That's great advice. Really appreciate you being willing to come and share with us. Thanks for taking the time to, to sit down here. Um, I know that we've gone a little bit long this morning. We've got a little bit more to do, but I also have it on good authority that the small group leaders downstairs with the kids like having more time with them. So it's probably fine. Would you thank them for uh, sharing with us today? I just want to say thank you to, uh, to Bruce for sharing how Jesus is the difference and to Eric and Don for how uh, we can put our love into action. Uh, I am the last thing to put a bow on uh, our vision uh, and uh, today, and then we'll have a song. So just stay with me just for a little bit longer. So why Vision Sunday? Why are we spending our time on this? Adam mentioned that most of us have experienced multiple iterations of, of vision documents. You know, perhaps you even helped write one in the past. Uh, some you remember, some you don't. Why are they important? You know, it's been a tough year. Uh, there have been so many distractions, so many voices speaking to us, some divisive, some discouraging. Uh, it would be very easy for us to lose our way. And so we need to be reminded uh, as a church, the way that we should go. When I think of our vision and values, I want them to serve three purposes in my life. I want them to remind me, I want them to encourage me, and I want them to keep me focused and on track. Uh, I think most of you know, Kim Garland is my sister-in-law, Kathy's twin sister. She had surgery to remove a brain tumor 10 days ago. As we were going into that, we had a really some very serious concern. Personally, I felt like, well, Kim, the Kim that goes to sleep for surgery, will she be the same Kim when she wakes up? Will she remember me? Will she remember all of us? And it was a hard thing. And, and so we went in a couple days in advance uh, on, on a Tuesday. We thought, hey, this is just an outpatient visit. It's the initial time with the surgeon we're gonna get a chance to spend time with her before she goes in for her surgery. The doctor decided then we need to get you in the hospital, we need to have you take tests, we need to get you ready uh, for that surgery. And let me tell you, uh, we jumped uh, immediately and got in our cars, family, Laurel and Zach over here, the other siblings, to get to Barnes so that we could say to Kim, we love you, we are you know, praying for you. We want to be with you. We took pictures. We, you know, we probably pushed the patience of the, uh, of the security staff at Barnes uh, as they were concerned about all those people in the lobby. The other concern was, you know, everything was moving so fast. Would we remember when the doctors told us certain things, you know, those conversations, would we remember correctly? And so they were very gracious. They allowed us to videotape, you know, the consultations and, and just what they shared. I tell you that story to say this, that, that in a similar way, vision and values remind us of what we're about when distractions come, when we're facing a lot of stress, when there's spiritual warfare, when we're experiencing the sin that Bruce mentioned. Things get in the way. And you know what? You know, uh, you might say vision and values, it's so basic. Do we really need to spend time on that? I am really thinking about Second or Second Peter. You know, what Peter, when he writes, he says, therefore, I, he says this over and over again. He says, I remind you, I always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth that you've been taught. I will keep reminding you over and over again. Paul does the same thing in Romans 15 where he says, hey, you already know these things. You already know these concepts, but I'm writing you as a reminder. We need to be reminded. Second thing I mentioned is that we need that encouragement. What happens for us when we're all on the same page? Philippians 2, 1 through 4 tells us. It says when we are 
sharing that same vision, when we have those same values, he says this, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassion? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. There is encouragement that comes from sharing vision and values. And then the thing, the very last point I want to make is that they help me to stay focused and they help me to stay on track. Some of you may know that I have a passion for golf. I'm not good, I just enjoy playing. I had to make that distinction for Dave Rudd in the first service. You know, I've taken over 100 lessons, I subscribe to golf magazines, I watch videos, I practice, and I think I have it figured out. And then I go on the course, and I stink. And the harder I try, the worse it gets. And the more tired I get, the worse it gets. I need a reminder of what a good swing looks like. And when I'm playing with somebody good and I say, oh yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go back slow. I'm supposed to turn my shoulders and follow through. And it makes all of the difference. Because our vision and values are scripturally based, they provide us with a picture of what a healthy church looks like. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2 says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And then finally, you know, I think when times get tough, it's easy for us to be pessimistic. It's easy for us to go dark places. It's easy for us to get discouraged in our thoughts, in our deeds. Philippians 4.8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Again, I think this allows us to be focused on what is right. Let's just pray together. Lord, we pray that we would be a growing community, Lord, that we would be a community that's passionate about worshiping you, Lord, that we would seek to reach the lost, Lord, that we would be salt and light in the world. Lord, that we would be people who are committed to growing spiritually, who would be praying continually, who would be deepening in our commitment to one another and growing in our community and developing leaders. Lord Jesus, we want you to be the difference in our lives. So we want you to help us uh, to, to love in word and deed. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for being the one who leads our church. And we pray these things in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.